0: This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. We're looking at the um, the Gospel of Romans, uh, this letter that that Paul wrote. Uh, remember to this church whose faith had been broadcast all over the world. It, the people knew about the church in Rome and uh, this little community of faith that's seeking to be faithful in the midst of a powerful uh, pagan empire. Uh, they are, uh, God is asking them simply to, to walk by faith, uh, to live by faith, to trust that God is going to work in and through them. And we see the results of, of what God did through them through, through history. We know that God worked in that little community to, to make it a vibrant of Christ following network of gathered people that spread all throughout the entire Mediterranean that deeply impacted uh, the entire world. And so uh, as we listen in on this letter that Paul is writing to them, uh, we can take courage knowing that as we seek to to live under the same grace, under the same uh, lordship of Jesus Christ, that God can and will do these kinds of things in and through us. What a blessing it is uh, to know that we're able to hear uh, what God has spoken to them so that we can begin to apply what God is saying uh, to us. And so, as I always, my, my encouragement to you is to, is to listen for what God is saying to you. You know, I'm, I'm up here using my mouth to speak, but God's spirit is the more important voice for you uh, to listen to. What is it that God is saying uh, to you? How are you called to apply uh, what God's truth is? It's, it's, it's good to hear a sermon that moves you, that connects with you. Uh, but then our response is always what's important, to say, listen, look at what God has done. How do we then live now? How do we make this tangible, make this real? So listen for that. And make a commitment to applying what God is saying to you. Because the, the world was changed monumentally over time with lots of little Earthquakes, remember we've been using this earthquake illustration. Lots of little tiny movements, lots of conversations, lots of acts of service, lots of uh, expressions of joy, lots of uh, maybe small celebrations of meaningful things in the lives of believers that, that demonstrated to the world that this is the kind of community that people want to belong to. I want to be part of a community that loves God, that has things to celebrate, that is rejoicing in Him. And that's what changes the world. One relationship, one family, one neighborhood, one city, one state, one country at a time. And so that's why we dig in uh, to understand these, these things. We're now in a, at the end of Romans chapter 3. The last 10 verses, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. The word of God for the people of God. Maybe may be seated. Lord, thank you for this uh, holy word and pray that we would be able to hear what it is you have to say and apply it uh, so that you would be glorified, that we would uphold the law by honoring what you have done for us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to give you a few seconds to think about the answer. What is the best gift you've ever been given? What's the best gift you've ever been given? What do you immediately think of when I ask that question? Maybe it was something, uh, maybe it was a thing. Uh, something special, a Christmas present that was particularly uh, meaningful. I remember when I was growing up, we got a go-kart one year. And that was a thrilling experience because we lived in a neighborhood, a suburban neighborhood, but it had some trails. And so we rode that go-kart all Uh, All along that trail, it was super fun. I don't have it anymore, though. I got a watch once. I like that watch. But it quit working. At One time we got a dog for Christmas. Spanky. Yeah, he died. One time I got a free trip to Southern California. It was awesome. But I only have the memories from the trip. What makes the best gifts? What is the thing that you think about if you were to have some time to consider it? What is the best gift you've ever been given? Well, there's a few things that I think make gifts um, special. One is that they're meaningful. It's a meaningful gift. You know, the kind of gift that when the giver really knows you very well and they understand what you like and what you don't like and what you're about and they think through what you need and they can think of what is the best gift for you. So a meaningful gift is a special gift. Another special aspect of gifts is that gifts are valuable. Valuable, not not necessarily lots of money, but something that could be really appreciated. Maybe it's the artwork of a child. It's a one of a kind gift that was made for you that you will cherish. It could be something very costly, Uh, but not even in terms of money. It could be something that it cost that person a lot to give. It cost them a lot of time. It cost them a lot of energy or headache or challenge to provide that gift for you. Something valuable that that you couldn't really get anywhere else but where this person got that gift. And this is the only person that could give it to you. The other kinds of gifts that are special are, are the ones that are Lasting gifts that keep on giving. We appreciate them and cherish them for a long time. We, we got our kids a dog for Christmas a couple years ago, and they love him more now than they did when we first got him. And I like him now more than I did when we first got him. He's a great dog. He's much better. He's much better, and so am I. <laughs> but so when we're thinking about gifts, you know, and remember if you remember from last week uh, that that text that we read last week remember it's just like litany of passages from the old testament from psalms and proverbs and ecclesiastes you remember that one that says no one is righteous no not one uh, we have venom under our tongues because we are we are poison like it's just this, this really tough stretch of text that just define us as separated from god and far from him Well, Paul makes this amazing transition into this section. He says, he begins this passage with, but now, but now. So all these things that have reframed us to be far from God, broken and sinful. But then he says, but now, right? We we, we realize after studying last week, we're not basically good people. We're broken and sinful. All have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God, Paul says in this passage. Last week, no one is righteous. No, not one. And yet, but now, those who are in Christ receive God's grace as a gift. We are justified, he says, by grace as a gift. Just most beautiful and wonderful gift that we have been given by God. So each week in Romans, Paul is giving us so much to think about. There's so much content here and so many ideas that we just obviously can't cover them all. But as I was reading through this passage over and over again, one of the things I noticed was there's a particular phrase and word that appear repeatedly. You may have heard the term righteousness of God. It also says God's righteousness. So three times in five verses we understand and we see this word. So anything that's repeated in a text or a section of of the Bible, we want to pay attention. We say the author is, is getting our attention by repeating that phrase, the righteousness of God. I'm going to get to what that means in just a second. But you may also have noticed that it says justified. God is just. God is the justifier. That's another word that we want to pay attention to. And the fascinating thing is, that the root word for righteousness and just is the same word. For righteousness of God and just, justifier, justifier, uh, justified. That's the same root word. So obviously Paul is really wanting to get our attention. This is a really important idea. Some have said that this is one of the main ideas in all of the book of Romans. Right? And we've already talked about it in uh, Romans chapter 1. The just will live by faith, the righteous will live by faith. This is a really important idea. So what does it mean to be justified? What does it mean to be righteous? Those are the questions that we're asking this morning. And what does it mean that God gives us his righteousness as a gift? Those are the questions that we're asking this morning. So let's look at uh, this passage as we go through. The first thing he says after he says, but now, making this strong pivot from the brokenness that we all experience to this gift of grace that God has given to us through his son, Jesus Christ. You can just almost notice that Paul, he's like, he's writing this out. He's like, I'm gonna tell them all the truth. I'm gonna tell them where they are. But now, you can just almost see his spirit begin to lift as he's getting ready to proclaim and to announce the good news for his brothers and sisters. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Let's just look at those two phrases real quick. The righteousness of God uh, manifested apart from the law. Okay, so we're going to spend a minute here talking about the righteousness of God. What is that? Why is that? What, what is this important idea? Because it's been repeated. Well, some translations, and maybe the translation you're looking at, says righteousness of God. And some translations make it righteousness from God. So which is it? Say yes, right? It's both, right? As often happens, we see that it can be both. So there's, a couple, there's three different aspects of the righteousness of God that I'm gonna highlight right now. In one sense, the righteousness of God is a divine attribute. So The first one of these three is a divine attribute. It's a quality of God. It's a characteristic of his that describe his actions and who he is that are, uh, the, the actions that are in keeping with this characteristic of him. You see, we know that God is the judge of all the earth. So that means if God is the judge of all the earth, he's always going to do the right thing. He's always going to make wise judgments. You see, God loves righteousness, and God hates wickedness. It's been said, like in the Psalms, that, that righteousness is the scepter or the insignia of his kingdom. Righteousness is the signpost. It's the thing that we can look to, as part of his kingdom. It's seen supremely on the cross. See, God demonstrates his justice by dealing with sin on the cross as the righteous judge. Verse 25, it says that he put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. There's this justice aspect. So uh, the righteousness of God is a divine attribute. But it's also a divine activity. So this is number two of three. It's a divine activity. This is God's uh, saving intention upon all of his people. It's his saving power that he extends to his covenant family where he overthrows the forces of evil, right? God despises wickedness and he will conquer wickedness ultimately at the end of time, but powerfully through the gospel, through the cross. It is his healing power where he will destroy evil, and vindicate his people. It's his covenant faithfulness. A covenant is an agreement that God makes in his word, and God says, I'm going to do something, and he fulfills his promises. He is going to bring justice to the earth for everything, all the big and all the little, everything. He's made promises to his people throughout history, and he's going to fulfill them. The third aspect of God's righteousness is, is that it is a divine achievement. The righteousness of God is a divine achievement. It's a righteous status which God requires if we are ever to stand before him. If I'm gonna stand before someone who is righteous, I need to be either righteous myself or made righteous. Why? Because God is holy. And he cannot allow something in his presence that is unholy. And so he reveals and he creates this achievement through the atoning work of Christ on the cross. This is revealed to us in the gospel and then he freely gives it to every person who trusts in Jesus Christ as their, as their Savior. So Paul is talking about the righteousness of God. It's a divine attribute because God is righteous. It's a divine activity because he comes to our rescue And it's a divine achievement because he bestows it upon us, upon all who believe and trust in him. And then he says, back to the first verse that I talked about, it's been manifested apart from the law. What does that mean? That the righteousness of God that we participate in, that we get to experience, that we have through the gospel, is ours, not by what we've done. It's not by works of the law. And this is going back a few weeks. Remember, there's two ways, uh, three ways of approaching God, right? One is by obeying the law. I'm a religious person. And so here's what the good book says, and I'm going to do, do the good things. And if I do enough good things that outweigh the bad things, well, then that's how I get to God. And Paul has already said that's not a way to do it because no one is righteous. No, not one. Another approach in the world is to say, well, let's just get rid of those laws And the ultimate value is just to find ourselves in the mystery of the world and to come up with our own way of living. But in that way, you're still essentially making your own laws. You're just the one who's making up the rules. But the other way is the gospel way. It says that, yes, there is a standard, a holy standard that God requires, but I can't meet it and I can't come up with it. So I'm trusting in Jesus, who was at once holy, but also humble, because he allows me to participate in in that with him. It's not manifested in the law. I don't get it by being good. I get it by receiving the gift that God has given to me. Uh, The verse that was read as our uh, pardon of sins, our assurance of pardon was, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Those who believe, those who are righteous, will live by faith. And it's by faith and here's the fascinating thing about this. In verse 21, it says, the law of the law and the prophets bear witness to it. This is not a new plan that God came up with when Jesus came along. Well, I gave them the law and they weren't able to do it in the Old Testament, so this isn't working, so now I'm gonna send Jesus. We're gonna look at next week the story of Abraham. And we're gonna see that even in the Old Testament, people were justified not by the works of the law, but by faith, by believing in the promise Now, Abraham didn't conceive of Jesus, but he believed in the promise that God would fulfill it. This is the plan all along. You see, the gospel of grace appears in the Old Testament. That's a beautiful thing about studying Romans, that we're getting a lesson on the Old Testament, and we're seeing how these two books, Old and New Testament, actually are one story of God's uh, redemption, his plan to bring back his people. And yeah, that's a great thing, to bring back his people in a big picture, but it also means to bring back you that you're part of that story, that God has done this, yes, for a people, and it's about God and what he's doing, and it's his story, but he's, he's done it for you. He did it for you, and that's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. And this says, for all, verse 23, let's keep going, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We are justified by his grace as a gift. Yes, we're sinners. No, we're not basically good people. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not good in us. That doesn't mean that we're not capable of doing good things if we're not a Christian. It just means that we can't do good in the righteous, ultimate sense. It means that every aspect of who we are has been corrupted in some way by sin. But those who trust in Christ are given this gift This justified gift, it's a great thing to see that that God sees us at one moment when we are justified, he sees us as righteous and pure. A a great way of remembering, okay, what does this word justified mean? You put it this way, it's just as if I'd never sinned. The word justified is just as if I'd never sinned. When you trust in Jesus, it's as though you've never sinned, so God sees you in a perfect light, and I think that you need to hear that right now. Because sometimes we can come in and go, man, I I feel convicted or I feel guilty or I feel ashamed. I I, I deal with with brokenness. I have a history of, of struggle or in the moment I'm not being faithful or I don't trust God for the future. And so we can come into the room and we can feel a sense of burden and a sense of oppression, a sense of difficulty. But that's not what God wants you to know this morning. If you're trusting in Jesus, you've been set free. He's looking at you right now, not based on how good you did this week but based on what Jesus Christ has done. So it's, imagine God is looking at you, and, and he's, he's looking at you, and Jesus steps in the way. He sees the perfect life of Christ as he looks at you. And that's what be, should be the, the... If you don't hear anything else that I'm saying, that you should know that God's love for you is here. He's embraced you. He is... He's, He's given his very life for you. Now there's a whole process that we go through called sanctification, that's another big word, right? We got justification, which is the one time event where Jesus does it, and then we have sanctification, which is this process of becoming sanctified, becoming more like Christ, and boy, that takes a whole long time. And the farther along you think you are, the more you realize, wow, I got a long way to go. But that never negates what God has done in the justification piece, if you're trusting in Jesus. If you're trusting in yourself, well, then you're trusting in yourself. You're on your own. If you're trusting in Jesus, you've been justified. And guess what? It's a free gift. It's something that God has, has given to you. He is just, right? The next point three in the outline, if you're following along. He is just and the justifier, which means that God is at one time going to do the right thing. He's going to make an accurate judgment every single time, all the time, because he's just, but he's also the justifier. He is also the one to make people righteous. Right? It's the third part of our divine attributes. It's what God does for us. So not only will he judge us, but he also makes us ready for that judgment through the work of the cross, through the work of of Jesus and so then he continues on in verse 27 so then what becomes of our boasting we have nothing to be proud about we have we have nothing that we can say well God look what I did for you or God I'm so sorry I shouldn't have done that God says I see your good works and they're nothing to me I see your sin and in one sense based on justification they're nothing to me there are consequences to our actions for sure but God sees you today in Christ he looks at your past and he's thrown it away. He looks at the struggle of this present moment, and he says, you're still mine. And he sees your concern about the future, and he says, I've got you. I've got you. I've got this whole thing. This is my story that I'm telling. I'm using you in the story, but I'm in charge. What a great thing. What a wonderful place to rest. How do we rest in that? he continues in verse 28. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Those who would try to earn their salvation by keeping the law? Or is God of the Gentiles only? Those who would say, throw off the law and do whatever you want to do? God is God of both. Because he will justify the circumcised by faith, the Jews, and the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, through faith. It's by faith. Everyone comes to God by faith. He's saying, Lord, I can't do it. I'm trusting in you. And he's driving this point home that no one can obey the law in an ultimate way. It's only those who trust in Christ. So just think about this gift for a second. Think about this gift of justification. This, this thing that we've been given, which is the righteousness of God, right? This, this, uh, this attribute, uh, this achievement, what, what God... Per, per, um, Says we are who he says we are, this thing that we've been given. It is meaningful, right? It's a meaningful gift. The giver, God, knows exactly what we need. The God of the universe knows exactly what you need in this moment. He's speaking to you. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you about what you need to know. What God has done is not an afterthought, it's not one of those things where you're like, oh, I forgot to get, or we're going to a birthday party. And, you know, on the way, let's stop at Target and get a gift card for the kid because we totally forgot about the gift, right? Or maybe just a Nerf gun because every boy likes a Nerf gun. We'll just grab one of those. Right? I just forgot about it. Like, that happens. Sorry. But that's not how it works with God. This is all part of his plan of redemption. And he knows your story. And he knows who you are. And he loves you. And he wants you to know that this is a planned thing. It's meaningful. It's meaningful. It's significant. it's valuable the gift that god has given to us is valuable it's so valuable that it can't even be bought it's it's priceless the only one who could afford it is jesus because he paid the price he was the one who was was willing to put down everything to give away everything right he he had the whole the whole world was his remember that scene where satan is tempting him And he said, here, I'll give you everything. And Jesus could have taken that, but he said, I'm rejecting all of that because these people, my people, and God's glory are more important to me. That's how much it cost him. It cost him everything, his perfect life. And guess what we receive? We receive Jesus' perfect life. So it's meaningful, it's valuable, but it's also lasting. Not only does this gift provide for us an eternity in heaven, but it blesses us every moment of the day, not just in this moment right now, where you're like, oh yeah, man, God, this is great. I'm so thankful that Matt's reminding me of of the gospel because I feel discouraged, I feel disappointed, I feel angry, I feel confused, I have all those feelings, but now when I'm here in this moment, in this room, listening, I'm remembering that God is sovereign and good. And that's great. But when you walk out this door, that promise is still true. It's with you every moment of every day. God's presence and his power and his purposes are with you every single moment of the day. It blesses us every moment. Most of the gifts that we give, they last maybe a year. Do you remember what you got for Christmas last year? Two Christmases last year. This gift lasts an eternity and every single day. We can rejoice in it. We can celebrate. We can rest feels good to know that God loves me in spite of me I hope that you know that and you rejoice in it so what do we do with this gift well we receive it we rejoice it rejoice in it and then we share it you know there is this danger that we would have this gift that is offered to us and we don't receive it and there's there's two ways that we don't receive it one is the person who says I don't need that gift I'm fine on my own I'm just going to church sometimes to be a better person and I want—I know that when I get to heaven, I'm going to say, I, "I basically did more good things than bad things." The person who says, "I'm fine," I'm basically a good person. Well, Paul has demolished that reality for us last week and even this week. All of sin and falls short of the glory of God. But there are people who have been offered this gift but have not received it because they're trusting in themselves. But what about the person who just says, "Oh, it's too much." Have you ever been given a gift and you're just like, I just can't believe that you've gotten, you've give, given me this thing and you've actually refused it. I just can't take it. It's just too much. It's too lavish. It's too nice. And there's a sense in which this gift that is offered to us is so amazing. We don't feel like it, that we can take it. But what happens if someone gives you something lavish out of the generosity of their heart and they want to have it for you and you say, no? What's well, an insult. It's insulting to say to that person who has said, I freely give this to you. I'm not doing this because of anything that you've done. I'm doing this because I want to give it to you. We're insulting that giver. You see, God knows you need this gift. And he's given it to you freely. It's his ministry. It's his mission. Jesus laid down his life because he wanted to for you. So we receive it. We accept it. And then we rejoice in it. We say, "Lord, thank you, thank you for this gift that you've given to me." We, we celebrate it. A, a, a beautiful gift when you get something that's that's amazing. You're like, hey, check this out. It's 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 worthy of admiration. You ponder it. You think. I didn't know that you were going through all these things to get this gift. And so that time when you were over there and not telling me where you were is because you were planning and thinking about how to get this gift for me. So not only are you giving me the thing or the experience or the memory, but it's also all the time and energy and planning that went into that. It makes me feel even more significant, more loved, more cherished that you went through all this. All this was going on when I didn't even know about it. So, man, I just want to thank you and to celebrate all that went into this, because I had absolutely no idea. It's worth our time. It's worth a few moments each day to think about this gift, the righteousness of God given to us, that God would do this. All of the plans, all of the story, all of the preparation, all of the people, all of the journey, all of the sacrifice that God has made, so that we could be his, so that we could be in his family, so that we could be part of his community, so that we could feel whole and be whole. That's worthy of rejoicing in. Man, we have much to be celebrating in this Christian life. We have much to be thankful for. We have much to rejoice in because what God has done for us. We also rejoice in the gift, but also the giver. I heard this story about a, a king one time uh, who lived a long, long time ago in Persia. He was a good and wise king, and he loved his people. And so he wanted to know how they lived. It was like a, a three or 4,000-year-old undercover boss. right? going to go in and see how people operate and what's it like. So he put on the clothes of a beggar, and he went into the homes of the poorest of the poor in his community, in his kingdom. And no one that he visited thought that he was their ruler. And one time he visited a very, very poor man who lived in a cellar. And he sat down with the man, and he ate the coarse food that this man ate, and he spoke cheerful words, uh, words of kindness to him, and then he left. And then later, he visited the poor man again, and he disclosed his identity, and he said, I am your king. And certainly the king thought, this man is going to want something from me. He's going to ask for some kind of favor or some kind of gift, because I'm the one in the kingdom that can give him something but he didn't. He said, you left your palace and you left the glory and visited me in this dark and dreary place. And you ate the food that I ate. You brought gladness to my heart. And to others, you have given your rich gifts, but to me, you have given me yourself. The Bible says that uh, Jesus, the King of glory, is the unspeakable gift, the inexpressible uh, gift in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. He is an unspeakable gift. You see, not only do we get this gift of righteousness that, that makes us right with God, but we get the giver himself because we see that, that he comes for those who are willing to say, I am Oppressed, I am broken, I am afflicted, as we read in our call to worship. Jesus comes and enters in, and he gives us himself. And of all the benefits we get for for being a, a follower of Jesus, right? we get wisdom, we get grace, we get forgiveness, we learn more about how to function well in our world. We get Jesus. And that's the best gift of all, is more of Jesus, more of his life in our life. And, and and you can't outgive God in that way, right? And obviously this is a, a metaphor for our our financial giving, right? That we can't outgive God, but but the more we take Christ into us, the more He comes out of us. The more He lives in us, and He reigns and He rules, and He sets us free. And the final aspect of the gift that we can, how we can respond, is to share it. And this is not a scarce resource. This is not something that we can say, okay, I'm just going to set this aside for one special time on this moment because we only have one uh, container of X or we only have one bottle of whatever. We only have one weekend to do this. This is something that is poured out and poured out and poured out. And the more we give this gift away, the more we experience it ourselves and the more our world sees this wonderful gift. And what a great thing it is to give this away. And I found in my own life I found in my own life that the more I'm willing with sometimes uh, wobbly knees and great fear and trepidation in my heart that when I'm willing to tell someone about the great gift that I've received, the more I receive that gift myself. The more I encounter the giver, the more I recognize that he is, he is with me. I don't have to convince anybody of anything. That's Jesus' job and the Holy Spirit's job. I, I need only to, to present myself as a person who has experienced the lavish grace of Jesus Christ and trust that God is going to work through that. And when I do that, when you do that, you'll experience more of the gift and the giver. Will you pray with me? Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, Maturing God's People to Serve a Hurting World. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.